I'm Christian Bush. And I'm Cindy Watts. Welcome to our podcast, 52. I turned 52 this year, believe it or not, and I am releasing 52 songs to celebrate. This podcast looks at the relationship between my 52 new songs and 52 of my most popular songs from my back catalog with plenty of stories and laughs along the way. A little known fact about me is that I love to put my feet up. So I have these like small poofs all over my life. That works. I right? love to put my feet up too. <laughs> That's one of my and favorite I don't, things. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like changing the blood in my body. Like my heart has to pump less to get the, the blood back to my, my chest or my brain. But I do love to put my feet up. Me too. Is that wrong? It's, it's like one of my happiest things in the world. And I felt bad for taking your poof, but maybe we can share your poof. Under my desk at the Tennessee, I had a trash can that really wasn't for trash. It was to prop my feet on. And under my desk at home, um, do, do you know about the potty stool? Yes, the squatty potty. The squatty potty. I have a squatty potty under my desk at home to prop my feet on. <laughs> you know, that's not what it was. I know. Y- invented for i love the squatty potty i have i have too many they're all in all the appropriate said the man who named it with the potty part to it yeah well yeah i love it so i i'm i would like to move uh i would like to present uh i guess a motion to change the name that maybe crate and barrel has convinced us this is called a poof Mm -hmm. and uh, i would like to go back to ottoman okay it's it's more persian well, Ottoman sounds it, it, more masculine than poof, but this, but to me, Ottoman, Ottoman elicits an image that is stuffy and wooden and uncomfortable. No, an Ottoman is the thing you can put your feet on when you have those chairs that are not recliners. Okay, but this is a poof. A poof is an onomatopoetic sound of when something goes poof, like a... Like a like a spell that a magician casts. Poof. Can you say poetic again? Oh, I got you, didn't it? I like it. Uh, East Tennessee. That's how you get the East Tennessee girls to get really like. Ooh. It gives them a little shiver it when does. you give them like six syllable word. No, um, it's it's the alliteration. It's not the syllables. I'm good with syllables. I like the alliteration. Oh, do you know what onomatopoetic means? I mean, I just tried to uh, splash. Mm-hmm. is onomatopoetic so the word sounds like what it's talking about yes um boom i just think they're really funny i just mm-hmm. <laughs> are you ready for your dad jokes speaking uh, of funny i suppose ha see check this out i can't wait a wizard asked me to proofread one of his scrolls last week actually it was more of a spell check okay then nothing you there was nothing there well it get worse. It's you good. just made fun of East Tennessean syllables, so now. Oh my God! I did so, not. I so was na- so now. I was trying you're to get girls to, to look work, at me. You're going to have to work extra hard with your dad jokes. The Egyptians claim that there are no crocodiles in their country. I think they're in denial. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, see, it worked. You just got, you just got, part of it is timing. The other part is just sort of leaving it there. Uh, So uh, when your girlfriend comes home in a white suit covered in bee stings and smelling like honey, you know, she's a keeper.
Oh, Lord. <laughs> okay, okay, you have a bonus joke. All right, then. It's been happening these days, just because it's the latter part of the year. I had to fire my fruit delivery driver today. Was he stale? I hate to let the man go, but he was driving me bananas. All right, then. Now we've got it. It's like a palate cleanser. That's the joke was a turkey. (laughs) Today on 52, we are um, exploring uh, two songs that I am connecting by the virtue of their creation was in both cases um, founded. The song was founded. If you can found a song the way you can found a town. Uh, your your face with just the last joke is still going. Can we just erase <laughs> your face to the joke before it? Uh, and no, there's a there's a there's like a piece of hair or fur or something stuck to the microphone, and every time I get close, it kind of pokes me, and then I touch it, and then it makes a funny sound in the microphone, and I'm like, it's irritation at the fuzz. It's it's not at the bad joke. <laughs> okay, <laughs> mm-hmm. you've got microphone poof problems yeah uh, yeah uh so both of these songs have been uh founded or created or, or or upon creation they were created around a guitar lick yes rather than let's say in nashville most of them would be what do you say like created i hear people say they create around the title right like they get oh man i got this great title uh i got friends in low places or something you know like uh and then they write it to the title well, I think everybody does it differently, right? Like I've had this conversation a bazillion times and it's always, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Is it the hook or is it the melody? And it just depends on who the person is. Well, so. I, it just feels to me like Nashville very rarely writes to a guitar or musical hook. It depends on who it is. Because most of it's interchangeable and or replaceable or the same lick by the, actually the same guitar players. It's only like six people. Well, it depends. It's like on... Derek Wells or not Derek Wells. <laughs> He's like the most prolific of the studio dudes for the last little bit. Um, or you know, like when you hear a guitar lick that tells you that the song is, you're like, I know exactly what this song is, right? Before the singer starts singing. I don't know. In both these cases, I, I grouped. Uh, I grouped these songs together because I wrote them both and they were written around the guitar lick first. Right. Mm-hmm. I was looking around the room to see if I had the, uh, a guitar in here that I could just like play the lick and you'd be like, Oh, I get that. But that's, it's all right. You it's have right. guitars. I know. Maybe we'll do that here in between the songs or something. But, uh, the first song is, uh, off of 52 and it's called mirror behind the bar. It's one of my favorites. Really? I like this song. Huh. Mm-hmm. What is it that attracts you to the song? It's, um, I just liked it. Like, I, I honestly, I like the lyrics in the song, even though it was inspired by the guitar. Like, I'm such a word person. Oh, the lyrics are good in this one. Yeah, they are. Like, we had fun. Yeah. I wrote this with Philip Lamont, and um, we had a blast. We started this in Hopetown in the Bahamas. And brought it back and we were, we had a writing thing and I was like, man, we gotta finish that song. He's like, yeah, we gotta finish that song. And, uh, 
He's always been. So, uh, here's a little known fact. Philip Lammons uh, was in a band from South Carolina called the Blue Dogs. And the Blue Dogs actually were a band that I got my very first cut with ever, not knowing that that was a thing. I was in Billy Pilgrim at the time and mm-hmm. it was like 1994 or five, 95 maybe. And my brother was playing keyboards for just about anyone. <laughs> like he was anybody that was on tour or coming through, they would call him because, uh, he was just good and he was good hang. So he was playing with like Hobex and, and John Mayer and David Ryan Harris and, uh, everybody, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Billy Pilgrim, Caterman's Call. He was playing with almost every act that came through or was near the Southeast and knew about him. I think that was when he was with Tiff Merritt. It was like his girlfriend at the time or something. Anyway. I uh, remember that name. Oh, yeah. Uh, You can discover things about the Bush Brothers you never knew. I didn't know that. Brandon was playing with the Blue Dogs, and I guess he came back from a gig and he said, Christian, they needed a song. Do you have any songs that, you know, Blue Dogs would could cut and i was like learning very quickly to say yes to everything even though you don't have the song then i went home and wrote it and then i sent it to him on a cassette via brandon on the next gig Mm -hmm. and uh bobby hawk the singer in that band just recently like two months ago i had a writer show and he was on it and he came up and told the story Oh, he's like, so this is our, and then he started playing it and all these blue dogs fans went nuts. They were like, their brains kind of exploded. Cause they were like, wait a minute. The guy from Sugarland, who's also the guy from Billy Pilgrim, which we forgot about that also wrote this song for the blue dogs, which we love, but we never connected the, Oh my God. Like they had this boom thing. But, uh, I, I, I tell you this, um, the, the very first cut, uh, idea because Philip Lammons was in the Blue Dogs. And when he confessed to me that he was in the Blue Dogs and had played this song, but it was after the song had already gone into their repertoire and I never had met him. So I got to re-meet a guy for the first time that was a fan of mine before Sugarland. That's cool. Which was kind of cool. And which means neither of us had the natural boundary of don't put that in the song, <laughs> which usually exists here in Nashville, which is why I like the lyrics to this song. Um, but it was originally written over this sort of guitar leg. And um, if you play guitar, uh, really, really great guitar licks don't require a capo. So you can pick up any guitar at any guitar mm-hmm. shop and just n- go for it. Right. Um, and once you figure this lick out, you'll be like, oh, that's so much easier than it sounds. It sounds hard, but it is not under any circumstance. And um, it's the thing that goes on every time the lyric is done. Like, and we're finished. Do, 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 do. You know, like a great guitar lick in my book is a part of the lyric. It happens when you're not singing. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't happen underneath the singing. Um, it's as if the uh, the singer is so moved that they cannot sing anything else. Now they must play. <laughs> In some melodramatic fashion. 
Um, but uh, my favorite lines in this song as we listen here is, uh, well, it's just the characters in this bar are right. just, they're, they're characters that this is the way I see them. Um, I, I've Andrew Hira, my, my dear friend and Billy Pilgrim, after he listened to this record, uh, call, <laughs> sent me a text. He's like, man, this is some, uh, this is some stuff, man, a mirror, the world that I'm looking in the mirror behind the bar, which is the reflection of the life that you're sitting in, but it's the way you see it. He's like, this is some cyclical Nietzsche. Like, <laughs> he's like, this is heavy duty, uh, like philosophical stuff. And I was like, yeah, but don't confuse. <laughs> yes. And you're the only friend of mine that's going to like, we can have that conversation with, but, um, the song on multiple listens, you hear different things. So we'll just right. take our first listen here together. Um, and you can play air guitar. Very good. And it will, you can, you can do air guitar face. <laughs> I, I play air drums. Okay. So I don't play air guitar. Them. I play air drums. All right. Because in real life, my drumming sucks. <laughs> That's probably not true. But in my mind, it's awesome. Yes. You're just, right. just like yeah. people playing air guitar. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Uh, mirror behind the bar. Very good. It's like I'm looking at a masterpiece behind the bottles up on the shelves. Of all the places with neon faces, wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Crazy Mary's upon her throne, drinking red wine through a straw. And those frat boys are just cat toys to the blonde shopping in her claws. With his eyes closed Old Charlie likes to drink it that way And that pinstripe suit's probably calling home Like he's working late again today Yeah, smart girls sitting on the corner stools They're keeping each other on track One says she's trying to fall out of love And the other's trying to fall right back Bye. 
I also think you just produced the crap out of that song. <laughs> it's just. Thank you. I like everything about that song. Everything about that song. Uh, you know what I always love about it is it feels like Southern rock as much as it feels like country music. Yeah. You know, and we don't get a lot of that like without it being Jason Aldean. Well, this is you true. You know what I mean? It's, like, yeah, it's like almost anthemic. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. I love it. I've always loved that song. And it took me a minute to find a good way to put that on a record. You know, but this, this is why I think it belongs in the nineties record. Right. Because Philip Lamont's okay. like, I'm honoring my past of with that guy. I I think that's great. I, I, I don't know. I don't think that that song needs a reason to be on an album other than it's a freaking great song. No. Oh, well, you're very kind. I love Does that it song. make you want to play guitar? How many guitars do you own? Five? Two? No. Uh. Do you own more guitars than you own hairbrushes? Yeah. Wow. Do you own more guitars than you own baseball caps? Oh, yeah. For sure. Wow. There's, I have my grandfather's guitar. I have my grandfather's banjo. It's hanging on the wall in my office. I have my very first electric guitar. I have my first acoustic guitar. I have, um, what am I forget? Oh, I have my Alabama guitar. Um, Alabama, when they did their farewell tour in 2003, um, I was a newspaper reporter making $6 and 50 cents an hour. But if you were um, financially secure enough to spend an obscene amount of money on front row tickets, then you got this <laughs> guitar with those tickets that was like stamped with that. You also had to have um, like third row tickets to get the poster. And I really wanted the poster. I could not ever You're willing to trade the guitar for the poster. Dream, I could not never really. dream enough big enough to have the guitar. I was on the very last row in that venue. Um, and then I camped out in the parking lot to get the poster and just like tried to buy them off people as they came through the uh, parking lot. I spent $75. I didn't have on that poster, but anyways, I wrote a check for it years later. Um, the people who were managing Alabama at the time, started a venue at Barbara Mandrell's old house. And at so, her old house? Well, at Fontenelle. Yeah, at Fontenelle. Oh, 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 got it, got it, got yeah. it. And somehow it came up, they're like, oh, Cindy, we have a warehouse of those. Just let us bring you one. Oh, Lord. So you got one? So I got one. And I thought, that's never going to happen. How <laughs> in what lifetime could that ever happen? And then the next time I saw Mark Oswald, who randomly I talked to this morning, um, he had that guitar for me and it's no been hanging on my wall ever since huh you making me think of what is my most important guitar i mean that's i mean that's it's hard to say because my electric guitar is the one that i quote unquote learned to play on sure and um and my dad got me that that was the uh i'm sorry your mom and i are getting divorced what do you want <laughs> gift oh and uh and it was that a Strat copy that's hanging on my wall. So there's that one. And then the um, Alabama guitar. 
Now you're making me think about what was my first guitar, was my favorite guitar, all that stuff. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. So what are the, what's the answer? Since this is the guitar episode. My, uh, well, my first guitars weren't my best ones. <laughs> well, that's, that's a different. And that's okay. Yeah. That's yeah, completely yeah. fine. Um, there are a lot of guitar stories in my life, but uh, some of the ones that I remember because I just love the story or I love the feeling of mem- remembering. I remember the first time I got what I thought was an amazing guitar. Mm-hmm. And my brother and I had gone through the process of learning that we had, what we had, what we did is we had a four track at some point in our life as teenagers, which was something that not a lot of kids had. Mm-hmm. And it was in the early eighties and we were using that device. If you don't know what a four track is, it's a cassette player that it records on both sides of the cassette at the same time. So you get like this four track version of what <laughs> studios have 24 or 64 tracks to do. Mm-hmm. But it's very much the same setup that the Beatles were working on when they started. Right. And they kind of revolutionized recording. So you learn the basics of recording on a cassette, which, you know, you could get for 20 cents at the time. But what you couldn't do is get the knowledge of how a song works. Right. So uh, I remember learning the moment that I was like, wait a minute, how do you make this sound? They're like, oh, that's a bass guitar. <laughs> I was like, that's a what? That gets a bass guitar. I was like, what the? It's a bass guitar. They're like this right here in the music store. Right. I was like, oh, and they're like, if you bring in your acoustic guitar, we'll trade you for the bass guitar. I was like, yeah. So I gave him my acoustic. No, hold on. Story gets better. They gave me the bass. I go home, learn to play bass because it's the four bottom strings of a guitar, right? Right. Or four top string, uh, lowest strings of the guitar. And uh, I start putting down all the bass parts to all the guitar parts that I had figured out, mm-hmm. took the bass back and traded it for another guitar. At this point on that trade, it was for an electric. Oh. And at the time, I was more interested in the color of the of guitar. Of course you were. Than I was in the brand or the sound or whatever. I was a was it purple? young teenager. So it's like, when I say young teenager, I mean 13, 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a black, uh, at the time it was a relatively new guitar called G&L. It was a GNL F100, if you know what that is. And if you do know what that is, you are now hand to forehead. Christian, please tell me you didn't get rid of that guitar. Right. Um, I didn't, but it's lost somewhere in all of my stuff. Um, but there are a number of photographs of me playing it in Billy Pilgrim, uh, on our second record when we became uh, a lot more electric and less acoustic. Uh, I just saw a picture the other day of us playing in Denver at uh, like the taste of Denver for a radio station. And I was like, Oh my gosh, there's my GNL in the picture. Um, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget in Sugarland when I was completely shocked that Gretsch guitar company was a Georgia company. Oh, I didn't know that I from Savannah, Georgia. And I was really interested in um, playing electric guitar in Sugarland suddenly. And um, and it's occasionally, not for everything, because I played mandolin and then guitar. And, and I was looking for, you know, one of those. I'd always been a huge U2 fan, and I had seen 
these giant guitars on these like tiny Irish guys. They were playing giant music. And I thought, well, obviously it's the guitar (laughs) doing that. Right. And I had always just kind of magically had a spell on my myself from this 15 year old me wanting one of these. And I was naive to the success of Sugarland because I lived in Atlanta and I, I, you know, I lived in a small little house and we were trying to renovate our other, you know, our house. And I had to right. even smaller. And so I called somebody and they said, yeah, we'd love to send you something. And I was like, great. And they sent me the green Falcon that Bono played in on that whole tour. He said, Oh yeah. They said, Oh yeah, we made this for you too. There's like 10 of them left in the closet. Would you like one? And you said, not only yes, but hell's yes. (laughs) And let me go play this. And so I still own, I still have this guitar. I play it all the time. It is weirdly louder than all the other Gretsch guitars that I have. Even if they're the same one, it's called the green Falcon. And on the pick guard, it says, uh, the goal is soul. Oh. And uh, it is a beautiful instrument. I do, I do love a Gretsch. I think, I think they're just gorgeous guitars. It's a and now I got a bunch of them. And now I see that, you know, it's a little bit like, like that company works on envy because I just saw the other little big town guys and they, that was the tour I had all the Gretches out on. Mm-hmm. And they were our opening act. Uh-huh. Now they all have Gretches like that. Of course they do. I was like, oh, yeah, let me tell you, man, it's a, they're, they're like, uh, I, I was never a car guy, mm-hmm. but to me, they're classic cars. Yeah. But, but do, uh, Philip and Jimmy have the green? One? They do not. They have the white one, maybe the orange one occasionally, but not the green one, not the green one. That was just reserved for this particular uber freaky fan. For you and Bono. Yep. The the most fun Gretsch story I have, and I think when this all started was during my trade, 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 trade as a teenager mm-hmm. at the local music store, one of the trades I got, and I didn't really want it, but it was coming, it was the first time my, my parents really gave it to me as a gift. Mm-hmm. Was a 12 string Gretsch hollow body sunburst. Oh, wow. I love a 12 string. And I didn't understand what I was getting because I was 16 or 17. This was my like, you're going away to school and this is our gift to you and you're doing great making music and we're trying to support you and all this stuff. And it came with a note inside of it from the guys at Pick and Grin. Mm -hmm. And I think I even have the note uh, with me because I scanned it. As along with the picture guitar, it says, uh, um, this is an old and valuable guitar. It's very rare. Um, also, um, just do me a favor and never play country and Western on it. <laughs> so pick and grin was the music store in Knoxville. It was, it was a yeah. music store in Knoxville. And those, those men there at that store, um, truly raised my brother and I musically like they, they put up with us scurrying in after school every day and asking 17,000 questions and never making up our mind and putting our fingerprints on every instrument in the store. (laughs) But as a result, they helped us, uh, you know, down the road of music without us ever really knowing that that's what they were doing. Um, but I'm, I'm forever grateful, but those are my guitar stories. Um, I paired 
this song with the a guitar song on the Lindsay L record called Wildfire. Yes. That I produced. And I typically don't like to write songs on records that I produce for another artist. If it's a Sugarland record, I'm writing as much as I want. A Billy Pilgrim record, my own like I'll write the crap out of our stuff because I know the point of view. But if it's an artist, and especially I'm learning to be a producer in Nashville, which is very different than my experience. Um, and, and in Nashville, there's a whole, it seems like there's a whole ecosystem of, of uh, rules and regulations that no one talks about or th- things that are unspoken. Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, unspoken promises. Yes. Right. And one of them is as the producer of a record in Nashville, um, you kind of have uh, domain over the choice of the music. Mm-hmm. And because you have domain over the choice of the music, that means the everyone's courting you, say the publisher, the record company, even writers, your friends, whoever, because you get to decide. And many times uh, the business of songwriting means you decide plus you're you deciding on your own songs. Right. And it didn't seem atypical, but for me, I, I have a plenty of careers, you know, so I ha- it affords me the opportunity to maybe just be the advocate for the artist. Mm-hmm. rather than the advocate for myself. Sure. And uh, in Lindsay's case, I had been really trying to help her and help the record company sort out the right songs for this kind of um, let's let's try this mm-hmm. sort of album that we were making. And during the process, I, you know, I'd picked all my friends in the band and that I... It's very nepotistic. I would pick only the people I loved, you know? Well, and cause I know how to, ha- I know how they can help me make records. Right. So w- we were recording a bunch of stuff. And then at some point, uh, Lindsay's manager at the time, um, turned to me and, and, and to her and said, you know, do you have like a, you don't have a rock song on this. You don't have like a guitar song and you're a guitar player, you know? And I had been, I've been trying to help Lindsay understand kind of what I had said earlier in the world of guitar players and performers. Right. And I would put people like Prince, like top of that, or, mm-hmm. um, uh, what happens is there's a moment where when you perform, you sing, 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 sing until it's time to play, 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 play. Right. And, and you will not, like I gave her a couple of rules to try to abide by, which is while you're singing, ye shall not be playing guitar leads. Mm-hmm. Like, you're confusing the listener. They can only listen to one thing at a time coming from the person in the spotlight. You can have another guitar player playing whatever they want, you know, all this stuff. But it's if it's you, let's keep everyone focused. Right. And while we were having lunch. In my regular kind of nutty idea game, I was like, you know what? While everybody's eating Thai food, you want to go in the other room and try to write that song? You know, real like quick, let's just guitar, whip it out. just just wild. And if it doesn't work during lunch, then we don't do it. Yeah. Like, it, so it was like a 25 minute time period. So, uh, she was like, sure. Because I mean, cause why not? Why not? Right. And sure enough, this is what we wrote. And, uh, one of the things I love about this, we, the engineer on this was Tom Tapley, who engineered all, all almost all my stuff solo wise. And, 
um, was a part of uh, Incredible Machine recording. And Tom uh, had been working in rock and roll for a very long time. And I'm I kind of a, a absconded with him into country music. He had done. <laughs> you kidnapped him. He, he had started working, you know, on the Bruce Springsteen records that recorded in Atlanta and had worked on a whole bunch of stuff huge rock records including like mastodon and stuff right so he was very well versed in how to make guitar tones crazy right and interesting and how never to be afraid to turn them up and country music they only turn them up when it's time Mm -hmm. rather than all the time so on this song on the mix we decided it was an all the time game and then we also were teaching Lindsay what happens when it the listener gets so lost in the the rock that you let the band take you wherever and the band kind of sometimes runs out on a recording where they thought there was going to be a fade mm-hmm. right and you 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 typically play until the producer tells you not to mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a like a football coach or something or a or a baseball coach uh and i told the band without telling Lindsay that we were going to do a false ending oh and then roll it back in. And then it was going to excite the spontaneity of everybody involved. Like, right. Oh, of course we're no longer recording anymore, but let's play. Cause we love to play, you know, like give you the 15 year old back in a garage moment. Right. So that's what this is. This song is called wildfire from uh, Lindsay L's the project. Fire. 
That's so fun. That's a guitar issue. I love it. So I have a question, Mr. Producer. Okay. So so that was Lindsay playing. Yeah. Right? That's what she said. So, but oftentimes I I hear that guitar players are not allowed to play guitar on their own albums. So why is that? Why do producers prefer to hire guitarists to play on albums for other guitarists instead of letting the guitarists do their own work? Sure. Um it's twofold, I think, the answer. Uh, and the the more politically correct answer is likely um, the professional guitar player is a little more accustomed to rapidly finding the guitar tone that's going to fit best in the sonic landscape of a recording mm-hmm. rather than the sonic landscape of a room. And it's a very different place because you got to imagine that it's a photograph right? Not a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a, a recording, you're trying to, you're trying to represent what these players are all doing with their hands and their, their breath and mm-hmm. their bodies. And in order to do that, you sometimes have to give them each their own place in the room to dance so that they don't hit each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> if that's another mixed metaphor there, but if you can imagine them all as people, Mm -hmm. moving around in a room in order to make it an interesting thing to look at or to listen to, you got to make sure that they don't appear clumsy. Right. And your ears do the same thing. Like there's, there are times when you want stuff to be squished on top of each other and it makes a really confusing visual statement to Mm -hmm. your brain. And there are other times you need them separate. Right. Right. A professional guitar players in studios know this. And a lot of times they will do that instinctually or they'll listen to what's going on around them and make those choices. Um, if the artist is doing that, many times they don't have the depth of experience. They haven't done 70 records since January. Right. 
they've done one two years ago. <laughs> so it's going to eat up time mm-hmm. and time is money in a studio. So a lot of times you, you'll hire someone to come in and help. Um, the, the less politically correct answer is um, one of the things that makes an artist better when they come out of the studio is that they obsessively listen to their own music mm-hmm. because they're constantly trying to ask themselves if they like it. Right. Because I, as the me as the producer, I'm asking them, Hey, do you like what's happening in the recording now? Mm-hmm. And I want them to have an opinion. Yes. I, but I want the drums to be louder, but I want this to be less, but I want this to be more. And if they start hearing a guitar part that they physically can't play because they're not good enough, mm-hmm. they will learn it by repetition. When they hear their vocal, the comp vocal that I put together, like sing the song 10 times and let me pull out the times where I thought were the best. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll edit them together and give it to you. And even though it wasn't your one performance, it's you performing one of 10 times. And when they hear it back and they obsessively listen, they suddenly learn that yeah. that way. So when they come out of the studio and whenever you see a band like newly fresh popped out of their new album, performing their new stuff, you're like, golly, they're so much better than they were last month. <laughs> And you can't figure out why they are. Well, it's because they've been obsessively listening to these new versions of themselves. Yeah. Like looking at a photograph of yourself and going, okay, wow. Is that really me? Right. And it's, so it's my job as a producer, not to put filters on it, not to airbrush it, not to, not to make it unattainable. Right. But to make it so that as you start to learn your own worth, we, we, as humans, we are so, and we, we are so scared of what we might, how, how good we might be. (laughs) We're, we're comfortable with being failures. I know I am. I'm much more comfortable failing than I am succeeding. Right. Because when you fail, you're like, okay, I've done this before. It's like not walking. You don't walk until you walk. Right. But once you start walking, you're like, whoa, this is awesome, right? I want that same attitude with an artist, right? I want you to be so thrilled with your new skills and your new songs and your new everything that you start to assume that new version of yourself. So that's a long answer to your question, which is a very good question. Um, And there there are tons of war stories. In your thing, like there's a very famous producer in Atlanta who, uh, who I, uh, who, who, when he would record your music, you would leave and then he would replace it all with himself. Oh yeah. I've seen that happen. I've, 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 yeah. And so you would come back in and be like, man, that, that bass part sounds great. You're like, yeah, man, it's the song and you'd have to do whatever you can to like, you know, I can imagine that guy like not not letting you know that you're, you know, you're this. And it was very famous and he did it to a lot of bands that he worked on. Mm -hmm. But, um, all those recordings, you know, they make bazillions of dollars. Yeah. You know, we hear that all about Mutt Lang all the time. You know, like all of his, I can't imagine he would have replaced Def Leppard parts, but maybe he did, you know, or, 
I know on the Shania Twain stuff, I know a lot of people that worked on those records and they were like, man, I know what I played and that may or may not be it. <laughs> Even the studio guys. Right. You know, because the producers become, it's their job to make the statue out of clay. You yeah. Know? Um, in the world of guitar rock, I'm pretty proud of listening to that. Oh, that's awesome. Lindsay L stuff. I was like, wow, this was considered country when we did it. What were we thinking? No, <laughs> you just did it anyway. You just broke the rules. It was like garage country or something like that was. Yeah, no, it wasn't. You just broke the rules. I remember There's... Lindsay and I talking about that song. And one of the things I know I loved about it is uh, there were a lot of young women who were looking to her. Yeah. And her being a guitar player and she was owning that part of her persona. Right. Right. This is a song they could play in their garage. Yeah. Like if you were just starting out, you could figure out that lick. It might take you a minute to get good at it, but you could do it. And what was fun is the whole band plays the same lick. It's like a Led Zeppelin rock. Oh yeah, it was definitely. (laughs) I love it. All right. Well, uh, uh, my follow-up question for you with guitars. Yeah. How many guitar amps do you have? More or less than children? Mm, how many are in my house? This is, I'm going to answer you the same how way. Many, what, how many children are in your house? <laughs> well, no. no, there are two How children many guitar in- amps, uh, uh, more or less than children that you are the mother for? Well... I mean, if we're talking about things that are my own or things that are in my house, they're very different questions. They're things that very, are yours, they have to be yours. Oh, there's just one amp. Two children, one amp. Yeah. All right. Yeah. However, my house does look like a used instrument store. <laughs> I mean, it really does. It's staggering right now. What would the name of... Cindy's music store B. Jeez, I don't know. Um, probably like Vintage Marshalls R Us. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> What's you want? <laughs> <laughs> What's you want? <laughs> well, thank you for being here for Guitar Week. For Guitar Week. I yes. love it. I didn't even get to tell the story about how I sold my first horse to pay for a bass guitar. Oh, gosh. Well, you know what? That's okay. I just told it. Now we're done. No, that's now I know about it. Yeah. Which means I can now ask you about it at a, a, a later date. There you go. Well, on base week. <laughs> oh, do we get to have base week? We can have base week. <laughs> there you go. That was a little bit of a... That was like me putting my feet up on a poof. That's what it sounds like to me <laughs> in my head. I'm like... <gasps> yeah. Base week. Okay. It's good to see you. <laughs> Bye, Christian. Bye. Hey everybody, Christian Bush here. Cindy Watts. And we would like to thank you for joining us for another episode of 52. If you'd like to write us with questions or comments, you can contact us at 52thepodcast at gmail.com. That is the number 52. Or by leaving us a voicemail at 803-900-5252. Also, remember, the best way to help us is to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, please, and thank you. You can follow me at Christian Bush on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can follow Cindy at Cindy Watts on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week.